Hello and welcome to episode 128 of the Batflip Crazy podcast, where you'll always find enthusiastic, data-driven fantasy baseball analysis and strategy. I am your host, Toby. Uh, today is edition 32 of Bubba and the Batflip. Bubba and I are going to be focused on hitters who are giving us hope uh, for 2020 or 2021, but guys who have shown us something uh, in the last little bit that make us hopeful that we're going to see uh, that the best is yet to come for these particular players. So given what's happening in our country, in the world right now, um, these are challenging times. And so trying to focus on something that gives us a little bit of hope um, for the future, even if it may be insignificant or trivial in the grand scheme of things, I uh, really hope you enjoyed this uh, this podcast. I I know that I enjoyed it a lot. It's always nice to hop on with Bubba. It always gives me a little bit more motivation, a little bit of enthusiasm, a little bit of passion, um, and looking forward to uh, baseball starting whenever uh, it does. Uh, I also just wanted to give a shout out to Bubba. He is going to he is in the round of thirty two currently uh, in the baseball pods. Uh, fantasy baseball podcast bracket. He's got a really tough matchup in this second round. So if you are listening to the podcast, definitely look for that poll on Thursday and vote for Bubba. Let's let's help him join me in the round of 16 or the sweet 16, I should say, of fantasy baseball podcasts. As I mentioned on Twitter, uh, just really uh, flabbergasted and, and just incredible the level of support that the podcast has received from all of you who listen and folks on Twitter uh, it's kind of surreal, uh, just, um, yeah, the level of support and then the kind things people have had to say. So thank you so much for that. But let's uh, help get that enthusiasm and, and all that uh, appreciation towards Bubba because we know that he definitely deserves it. You can reach me on Twitter at BatFootCrazy. Bubba, you can reach on Twitter at BDNTrek. Uh, if you do like the podcast, please do give uh, both my podcast and the Bench with Bubba podcast a five-star rating and review. Always appreciate that. But without further ado, let's hop into the podcast. Let's get this party started. This call is being recorded. And welcome back, everybody, to another edition of Bubba and the Bat Flip, episode 32. Got a fun one on tap for you tonight. Got some uh, players that we're both hopeful on, guys, I guess, that we're targeting quite a bit, that we're hoping produce in a big way that aren't the Captain Obvious picks out there a little later in drafts. Take some listener questions and more. You can find me on Twitter at BDentric and uh, my co-host, as always, on Twitter at BatFlipCrazy. Toby, how are we doing? Hey, Bubba. We are, we're doing okay uh, tonight. You know, it's a little bit of a, of a sad night uh, in, in my household. Uh, John Prine, who I listened to growing up, have a lot of really fond uh, family memories of kind of just listening to him in the, the living room on family trips and stuff like that. He passed away today. So feeling a little sad about that. I know that um, we're all kind of dealing with a little bit of our own grief here as a result of COVID-19, whether that's because of, you know, knowing somebody who has passed away or has gotten ill, uh, whether it's just kind of the anxiety and and the way that um, life has has changed dramatically over the last little bit. I know we're all kind of working through that. So I guess uh, his death hit me a little bit uh, hard this afternoon or this evening when I found out about it, but it's been nice uh, putting on some tunes, listening to some of my favorite songs of his um, has definitely been uh, been helpful in that situation. And, and we all have kind of the ways we get away from uh, the real world and the grief that we're all uh, working with. And I think fantasy baseball is obviously one of those for me. So really excited to be on the, on the podcast with you tonight. 
How are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing well. Um, just day to day, had some uh, doctor's appointments today with the wife and uh, doing work and whatnot. So, you know, just living the dream. Nothing, uh, just trying to stay safe. That's the best yeah. we can do right now. So, absolutely. Um, yeah, you know, I've never had used so much sanitizer in my truck in my life. Let's put it that way. <laughs> oh, 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 for sure. We're all wild times. We're all experts at uh, at hand washing, and we all know exactly which products have uh, the right enough of certain chemicals yeah. to kill uh, <laughs> the coronavirus. Yeah. So we're all, we're in good shape. Yeah, things I never thought I'd need to worry about. Here we are. So uh, let's have some fun talking some fantasy baseball. It's a list we made a few weeks ago, but we've had a, a lot of listener questions. Talking 1994 last week with Brock, which was a blast. But uh, we're talking about some hopeful players. We've got uh, three infielders, three outfielders each to talk about, and then um, we'll and some pitchers as well, three pitchers each. So total of like 18 players or so. We have some listener questions. So Toby, kick us off. Rowdy Telez is your number one. Yeah, Rowdy uh, Telez is my number one. And this is a guy who I don't know how much I talked about him kind of uh, throughout the offseason. I think I mentioned him. I think we discussed him on some of our position previews. But he's a guy as the seasons move forward, I like him more uh, and more. And I guess not the season has moved forward, but <laughs> as the season got closer and closer and now get, seems to get further and further away, uh, he was a guy that I liked more and more. I think he had a, he had he was having a really nice spring. And based on some early reports in Blue Jays camp, you know, it sounded like Teoscar Hernandez was actually going to start in the outfield for the Blue Jays, which might open up some DH opportunities uh, for uh, Rowdy uh, Telez, um, as well as maybe some uh, first base opportunities with Travis Shaw in there most of the time. So I really liked the playing time situation for him. He was going pretty late in drafts, but I think more than anything, I really liked what I saw when he came back to the Blue Jays toward the end of last year, um, he does not have good plate discipline, but there was some improvements there um, as the season uh, progressed in those last games. That that last, I want to say it was something like uh, I want to say it was something like thirty four games, something like that. Um, he, when he when he got called up, he played like thirty two to thirty four games. Once he got back up in the bigs, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, and he was much better. So improvements in plate discipline, uh, improvements in. Uh, exit velocity. So his average exit velocity over his last 50 batted balls was 94.1 miles per hour, which is extremely elite. And then his hard hit rate over that same stretch was 54% uh, by StatCast metrics. So 54% of his batted balls were at 95 miles per hour or higher. And I think when you combine that with an already stellar 8.3% barrels per plate appearance, um, across the full season, there's a lot to really like there. And I think there's a couple areas where you could see some growth for him. Um, he's definitely a guy who could hit the ball in the air uh, slightly more. And so that's an area where you could see the power tick up a little bit. I don't think we doubt that the power is there, but I think there's a, there's a, there's a reason to be hopeful in the fact that he might be able to uh, lower that ground ball rate, increase that launch angle, and maybe increase that barrel rate and uh, his home run total. And then the contact rate as well. It's not bad, especially for a guy with kind of his um, hitting profile. Um, and so I think put that all together, and I think you have a, a guy who's kind of flying, generally speaking, under the radar, um, who was almost free in drafts and who I think could really um, contribute um, uh, quite, quite a lot. I mean, if you look at, for instance, the bat, you know, they have the batting average pretty low at 243, but the bat projection 
in 316 plate appearances has him with 14 home runs, um, 37 runs, 41 RBIs. So, you know, in a full season worth of plate appearances, you're looking at 25 to 30 home runs potentially with his existing skill set. If it improves, you know, maybe that number goes up a little bit. And then you're looking at maybe 80-80 in terms of runs and RBIs and in a really solid Blue Jays lineup. I think there's a lot to like about Telez and uh, a lot of reasons to be hopeful on him. Yeah, definitely. I I, um, I didn't put him on my list, but I finished writing up three uh, first basemen that could break out, like not just sleepers, like super late picks that might even go undrafted in some leagues. But uh, Telez was one of the three on that list. And uh, I won't have stats for every guy you talk about, but I have this paper right here because it got published this morning. So oh, it's right cool. in front of me. And um, when he got called back up, like you said, he played 33 games after coming up uh, after a month in the minors. So mid-August, he came back up. He hit 226 overall. But if you look at his September, that's when you're talking about his last 50 at-bats and whatnot. His September, he played 22 games and hit 257 with six homers, 14 uh, RBIs, 11 runs scored, but a 139 WRC plus, a 329 ISO, 52% hard hit rate, uh, pulled the ball almost 55% of the time. All things we're looking for with the uh, increased uh, power. And one thing I saw looking at his numbers from 18, 19, even in the first half of 19, his BABIP is atrocious, actually atrocious. And that um, it could lead, it could be because uh, you would think because a lot of fly balls, but he's a heavy ground ball player. So he's hitting into the shift a lot or hitting weak ground balls. And that's the weird thing about him. He had like uh, last year, the whole year combined, a 40% ground ball rate and a 27.6% fly ball rate. Uh, and that's been improving each year. His fly ball rate has improved each year. So if that can keep going in the right direction, the Babbitt get just closer to 300, that leads you to your higher average you're speaking of uh, potentially and could lead to much, uh, much more power as the barrel rates, the hard hit rates, everything like you said is phenomenal. And then one thing I'm going to plug, and I'm going to start using it more and more, and i got to keep uh, getting used to it. You know, PitcherList.com uh, has amazing writers, uh, just brilliant people. And I love chatting with them on the show. And last uh, last week I had John Metzelar on. And, you know, Toby, we use CSW quite a bit, and that's one of their great inventions. Um, John did something that, to me, it might seem so simple, but it's so genius because I never thought of it. It's called the ideal contact rate. Have you read it up on that at all? Um, I looked, I don't think I read the full article, but I definitely took a look. I think it looked at kind of the six different, um, batted ball types, yep. right? Via stat cast. Yes. And it shows that there's the six via stat cast, but the three you want are barrels per batted ball event, solids per batted ball event, flares per batted ball event. If you add all together, that's your ideal contact rate, because those are the three things that result in the best possible WOBA, ISO, batting average, et cetera. Uh, the poorly topped, poorly under, poorly weak don't help you at all. But solid flare barrel uh, on average 490 or higher, ISO 630 or higher, so on and so forth. You're getting very productive at bats, barring something crazy. Like you hit like a 120-mile-an-hour line drive straight at the left field or something. Like those are things out of your hands. Long way of telling you, the reason why I wanted to say is Rowdy Telez, he ranks tied for like 33rd on this list in ideal contact. His ideal contact's 45.5% with a 13% barrel, 7.4% solids, and a 24% flare. What uh, this also tells you is he has the same ideal contact rate as Mookie Betts, Nick Castellanos, 0.1% behind Mitch Garver, and right in front of David Dahl and a few others. So he hits the ball very, very well. It's just a matter of finding a few more holes, maybe turning some flares into some more barrels or solid contact. And next thing you know, 
it could be huge. So he's really close. Sorry, long way of uh, taking your same player, but wanted to let you know. And, no, no, I no. I love I'm, Rowdy Telez. That's great. And just a couple things to add on to that is number one, um, you mentioned uh, Rowdy Te- uh, Telez and him coming up um, towards the um, end of the year. One really great feature that Fangraphs has just added, I don't know if folks saw, but you yes. can actually um, go to game log or even season stats now and aggregate them. Um, manually on the player season stats page or the game log. So with like Rowdy Telez, I can actually hold, if I just press shift and click on his last game that he played last season, and then the first game since he returned from the minor leagues, I can actually aggregate those stats super quickly. So instead of looking at the range, figuring out the number of games that he played and then going into the splits tool to see how many, you know what he was over those games, you can actually do it all in one place. So that's a really nice tool um, that you kind of reminded me of uh, to highlight. Um, and just by seeing that, yeah, I can see that he had a, a 111 WRC plus over those last uh, 34 games um, and a nice little 338 Woba, the slug that you mentioned as well. Uh, the one question I'd have, I don't know if you know this offhand um, with uh, Jonathan's uh, Metzlar's um, article is one thing that I'm always interested in is, is what is the, uh, how predictive is each metric? And so I know, for instance, that like barrels are very predictive season to season, but I'm not sure how predictive flares and solid contact are. And so that, I guess, would be, I don't know if you know it offhand. I'll definitely go back and read the article because I know he does tremendous work. But it's just as I as I think about which metrics I want to use moving forward is just thinking about which ones have uh, the most predictive quality to them. I, I don't want to give the wrong answer, so I'm going to say I'm not 100% sure, but I remember because he's got a great chart on this that has a, a, he accumulated all the numbers from 2018 and 2019 of all six batted ball types, barrel, flare, all the way down to solid contact. And he put all total numbers, like seven, there was a total of almost 17,741 barrels. So on average, a barrel had a 795 batting average of 1.939 ISO. He does it for all the stats. Woba, yeah. Expo, Bacon, all the way down. So the reason why he categorizes them all is, like I told you a second ago, is barrel flares and solids. At worst, a solid is a 489 average. A barrel, uh, 795. A flare, 659. Uh, the ISOs, like a flare's ISO is only 129, uh, but it's it's BABIP. It's all these other things. So what you're looking at here is if they're a high flare burner guy, but maybe low in barrels and solids, mm-hmm. this could be a high batting average guy that's just missing power and could shift real quickly one direction. Um, if he's a huge barrel guy and a solid contact and not really flare burners, it could be all power and little average type situation. Uh, but it gives you different guys to target maybe as you're in later in drafts, or if you're looking for guys to maybe break out that you're saying, can he, you know, like we used to say about Machado forever, can he turn those warning track doubles into home runs? Um, and that's not a flare burner, obviously, but can he change that solid contact into barrels, stuff like that? Because if you look at the, even in this article, he just, he does a phenomenal job, like making it as simple as possible. That's why I wanted to talk to him is he's got just the chart that shows the six type of contacts color coded and Mm. essentially a solid contact is a barrel. It's just, or it's, it's similar to a barrel, but it just, it's either too, it's hit too hard, too soft, or the launch angle is just off. If that makes sense. Like it has one of the two factors for a barrel, but not the other factor. It's like really close. So it's a really interesting way to, to showcase it and to answer your stickiness question. I'm not 100% sure outside of barrels, which we know is very sticky, but we do know that the flare burners is a very good batting average asset. So when you combine them all together, it's kind of the overall contact you're looking for. 
Yeah, definitely. I, I remember looking at the article I've got in front of me now. It doesn't look like they have the R squared. So I'd be interested in that just from like a year to year perspective. But as you mentioned, it's phenomenal work. I mean, PitcherList does uh, terrific, terrific work, really in-depth articles and, and definitely recommend folks. I haven't listened to it yet, your podcast with Jonathan Metzlars, but I'll definitely uh, have to add that to the list and highly recommend always folks uh, listen to and read Pitcher List because they have a fantastic group of writers who are really passionate about baseball and and do some tremendous research. Yeah, they are good stuff. So let's get on to my uh, first hopeful target, and it is Miguel Sano. Now, I know he's not a super late draft pick like Rowdy Telez, but I'm hopeful because he hasn't done it yet. <laughs> it's one of those that every year I want Miguel Sano to be the next best thing because every year if you want to drool about a player's stat cast page, Miguel Sano is one of the best ones to drool at. His, his barrel rate, his exit velocity, his X stats, his X will bake, and his hard hit rate. He had almost he had over a 57% hard hit rate last year. That is asinine. Just ridiculous to hit the ball the way he did. Um, when you look at ideal contact, he's the 23rd, I believe, best ideal contact player in the game. It, yeah, 23rd with a four, almost 47%. Um, I'm not going to go too far into him because we went long on to Les. We talked about Sano a ton, but even in 106, uh, five games last year, 34 home runs, hit 247, 76 runs, 79 RBIs. He just hasn't been able to play a full season. If he can put a full season together, you're locking in 35 plus homers and, and a decent average. It, it, it could be, it could be some really good stuff there. So Sano would be my, uh, my first guy. Yeah, I think that's a great pick. I mean, all he really needs is health. Um, he was, he was tremendous last year. You mentioned all the, all the stack cast metrics just hop off the page. He's a guy that I really loved. Um, I really loved like early on in the off season. I think, I feel like I was getting a bunch of shares at him. I just, uh, I worry about the batting average, obviously given that I play in a lot of overall competitions, but, um, I could easily see him winning that, uh, home run title, uh, no problem. And, and, and he's also going to get first base eligibility, which is going to be huge. Oh, absolutely. That's a, that's a really good, uh, that's a really good call with Josh Donaldson there. And I know like he had some improvements last year. I feel like, um, uh, yeah, the plate discipline was better last year. Um, the contact rate was down a little bit, but a uh, hard hit rate jumped so much and, um, ground ball rate also was down um his lowest in in a couple years so yep a lot to like there really love the call i do worry a little bit about where he's gonna be in the batting order too he may be yeah. a little bit down down there but uh i think it's a great call i think he could be uh, a really tremendous asset and i'm not sure whether it picked up on the mic or not but um my little one of my little ones uh crept out of his bedroom and was uh was having a conversation in the living room so if that if that caught on the mic there uh that's Milo. Yeah. No worries. No worries. Who's your number two? Um, so my number two, which probably won't come to a surprise as a surprise to anyone who has been listening to me uh, recently or been seeing some of my draft boards, um, I guess not recently, but uh, you know, a month or so ago, uh, Brian Anderson is the next one that I really like. Um, I think the key for Anderson, uh, the reason why I'm hopeful is I think the key is um, his ground ball percentage and his uh, launch angle um, over his last 40 games, his ground ball percentage fell to 39.1%. Now his career uh, ground ball rate is 49.1%. Um, so just a huge drop right there, hitting the ball in the air a lot more. 
Um, he has uh, above average batted ball quality. Um, over his last uh, 50 batted balls, his exit velocity was up at 90.6 mile per hour, which is really solid. 44% uh, hard hit rate based on stat cast and 6% um, barrels per plate appearance. I believe that's across the full season. And so really he's got the quality of contact down. I mean, it's not elite quality of contact, but it's good enough. And he makes a lot of contact. Um, you know, strikeout rate is uh, below league average. And so if he can maintain a lower ground ball percentage and just maintain that quality of contact, you'd see the barrels uh, per plate appearance uh, go up. Um, I think you'd also see him do see him hit uh, a few more home runs and he's going to play every single day in that Marlins lineup. And he was actually pretty good last year before the injury. I mean, I owned him in a couple places, you know, last year he had 20 home runs, five stolen bases, 261 batting average. So again, you know, if, if he can hit, if he can add a little bit more to that power, you could see 25 to 30 home run power. Uh, you could see, you know, uh, five, maybe five to seven stolen bases, and then not great counting stats because he's in the Marlins lineup, but decent enough. And he's got a very stable profile with that, uh, with a pretty high contact rate and um, the low strikeout rate. So a lot to like, I think, there. He's also got the dual position eligibility at third base um, and outfield. He's going to hit in the middle of that lineup. Um, and just based on like valuations, based on where he was going in drafts, which was around pick like 220 or so, um, he was one of the bigger values, I think, in the draft, um, as I think like about a, a 10 to $12 player going in that range. So I really liked him, was very hopeful um, on Brian Anderson, and, and I have a lot of shares of him. So if we do have a season this year, I'm excited to see how he does. Yeah, that's uh, one of your guys. Like As you were talking, I started looking at our list some more, and I'm thinking – Maybe we shouldn't have called these hopeful targets. Maybe it's more, these would have been our guys if we could have drafted them all targets. Um, mm. <laughs> it's like our, our guy list because uh, my next guy is going to fall right in line with, with the brand here. And that's CJ Cron. I probably wrote about him at least twice this year already. I've talked about him tons and tons of times. I just love everything about his overall hit tool. Uh, we've seen his barrels increase every year since 2016. We've seen his X stats. He, he he kind of underperformed him last year. Two fifty three average, two seventy seven X batting uh, X batting average. You know X woba three sixty six woba three twenty four, so on and so forth. His his best X woba bacon he's had a hard hit rate of almost forty five percent, while his strikeout rate dropped to a his be, a, a best of twenty one point six best the last three years. He's been close to twenty six percent the last two seasons. So nice drop off there in the strikeout rate. Uh, the biggest thing Crone last year he's injuries. Uh, he, he battled a couple different injuries. I believe one was his wrist and then another one, like a hamstring or something. can't remember off the top of my head right now, but he, that was the biggest thing that, that hindered him. He played 125 games, still at 25 home runs. Um, but the second half of his season, once he returned from injury, wasn't as strong as you, you would hope for. It was still decent, but not as strong. But um, people have been saying, you know, going to Detroit's going to crush him and all these things. And yeah, Detroit sucks. I'm not going to say it doesn't. But the thing with Cron, which is very nice, is a 38% pull rate last year. The previous two rates, though, uh, 43.5, 41.9. If you can get back to that 40-plus percent pull rate, that plays just fine in Comerica Park. You, if you pull the ball there, the ball is going to fly out, and you don't have to worry about it. His ground ball rate has gone up the last two years. If that can drop back down and, and get more fly balls, that could be tremendous as well. Uh, the hit tool is outstanding. So there's, there's not much to worry about there. Comerica uh, is not going to hurt him. The, the, the batting average, the lineup there, which we've talked about before, is at least the top half of that Detroit lineup is kind of sneaky, not bad. 
which is weird to say. So it's not like he's just hitting in like no man's land there. He still gets to go hit in Minnesota where the ball flies out. He gets to go hit in Chicago. He gets to play a bad Royals team. He, he has a great division to still thrive in. He's going after pick 200 in drafts right now. People have obviously caught on to him uh, going forward, but uh, this guy is is super talented. Every year it's like he doesn't get the respect he deserves, in my opinion, because he keeps getting traded or released and signs elsewhere. And all he does at, year in and year out is hit the ball extremely hard and, and give people what they want. You got a 25, 30-plus home run talent getting drafted after pick 200 is like a corner infield or a first baseman if you miss out. Um, he, he's basically a, a poor man's Miguel Sano. He's not gonna he's not gonna hit for as much power as Sano, but he's gonna hit for a better average, and he's gonna help you in counting stats. So the overall power counting stats might be a little lower than Sano. Average will be better. You pick him a hundred picks later, so you're getting a very similar player there uh, with the decrease in draft stock. So CJ Cron's my guy. I want I want him to do well because I want him to prove people wrong that he's he's not gonna produce because he's a Detroit Tiger. So uh, CJ Cron's my number two. Yeah, I think that's a great shout as well. Um, you know, yeah, the center in Comerica sucks for sure. Like yep. if you hit the ball to center, you're going to have a really hard time hitting it out. But if you the pole side, like you mentioned, does play up a little bit, he should play every single day, which has always been, you know, the major yep. struggle for him is getting that consistency and playing time. And I had a tweet earlier on, or I, I when I drafted him earlier on this draft season, I compared him. He compares pretty favorably to Jorge Soler, just from a purely stat cast perspective. Um, obviously, there's some there's some fairly big differences between him and him and Soler, generally speaking, in overall value. But I think they're closer than uh, people would, uh, or that their ADP would indicate. I guess would be a best way, good way to frame it. So I like. I think there's a lot of reason uh, to be hopeful about Crone as well. Yep. Sweet. Who's your number three? Uh, so number three, uh, I don't know if I've been like super heavy on the bandwagon on this guy. I know there's a number of people in the industry who really like him, um, a lot, but I guess, uh, choosing him here, I'm, I'm planting more of my feet, um, in, uh, in, in the bandwagon on Dansby Swanson, but I really like Swanson. Um, you know, he's going later in drafts, um, and he's really become for me, like a pretty trusted source of late speed at the middle infield position for me, I feel like shortstop after like shortstop's very deep. Um, and I feel like he's kind of one of the last guys that I like that can provide a little bit of speed. Like there's other people like a Willie Adamas, you know, who's kind of pretty solid overall that's going later than Swanson is, but Swanson's got that nice, uh, little bit of power speed combination. Um, you know, uh, he was injured on July 23rd and he was really bad um uh, upon returning um before that though he had lowered his ground ball rate to 37.1 percent um for the season career was 42.7 percent so uh, almost six percent uh, dip in ground ball rate which is really nice his o swing had returned to its usual levels so in 2018 it was really bad um but it returned to about 28 percent which is similar to what it had been in previous seasons for swanson so better than league average right there. And his contact rate dipped uh, pretty uh, like slightly, but it came with dramatic improvements in his batted ball quality. And you could see that in career highs and exit velocity, hard hit rate, and then a 6.8% barrels per plate appearance, uh, which is really nice. And so those career highs, um, you know, when you think about it, so like that's really good uh, for overall for the season. But when you consider the fact that after he returned from his injury, 
in those 114 plate appearances, he hit 194 with zero home runs. Um, I think they're even more impressive because they're weighed down by a guy who appears to have just returned a little bit too soon uh, from an injury. And so I really like him a lot. And I think even more than that, the Braves lineup is pretty shallow after the top four. Obviously, the top four are four of the best hitters um, in baseball. Uh, but there's an opening in that number five spot. And so I think if he comes out hot, and I think he hit here a couple times in spring training, which doesn't mean anything really. But if he can start out hot, I could definitely see him landing in that five spot behind Marcelo Zuna in that lineup. And that could be just an absolute uh, gold mine from a fantasy perspective. Uh, tons of RBI opportunities there um, with a bunch of, you know, elite hitters uh, ahead of him who are pretty good at OBP as well. So that's what, those are some of the reasons I like Dansby Swanson. Yeah, I love Dansby Swanson. I can't argue anything about that. If the biggest thing I've had with him is give him a better spot in the batting order and let's rock and roll. Like you said, hitting fifth, he could just be in for a doozy. Uh, if he didn't get hurt last year, he was in for a monster season and he would not be getting drafted where he is. He'd be, I'm not going to say he would have had a Marcus Simeon season because that was ridiculous, but he would have had that kind of jump like Marcus Simeon had from where they were the year before. He would have been way up there with uh, maybe a top 15 or even higher shortstop, and there would be much validity there. So I like Dansby quite a bit. Uh, my third infielder, and this one kind of in the vein of Miguel Sano, it's like the talent is there, and I want it to happen so bad, and we've seen it like really solid one time back in 2018 or even 2016 where he hit 271. Give me Rugnid Odor. Just I want Rugnid Odor at his draft cost of two two forty over the last or since spring training got canceled March fifteenth. He's going around pick two forty in online drafts on the NFBC, and this is a guy thirty or more homers three of the last four years, uh, seventy five to eighty runs scored. He's, he's like a seventy five plus RBI guy three of the last four years. He's getting you double digit stolen bases four straight years. It's just a matter of the batting average, and he's not a big BABIP guy because he gets a lot of a lot of fly balls, but uh, the overall metrics are outstanding. A 13.5% barrel rate last year, by far his best. A 40, almost 46% hard hit rate, by far his best, but his worst strikeout rate of 30.6%. So he struck out a lot more, hit the ball a lot harder, bouncy ball. We'll see how that goes. But even looking at his X stats, he uh, underperformed a little bit there. All of his X numbers were much, much better. And you just look at his, his ground ball rate. It dropped last year. So it was 47, 42, 42, 45 down to 38 fly ball rate went from 22 to 29 which was nice but still he pops up the ball a ton for a guy with power like rudiment outdoor if you look at like 30 plus home run guys and you look at their stat cast page pop-ups usually aren't the biggest issue with a lot of them rudiment outdoor is he's got a nine percent pop-up rate or higher in four of the five stat cast seasons that's a lot of wasted at bats a lot so it's not just strikes out strikeouts it's pop-ups. So you combine the pop-ups with the ground balls, thus the very bad Babbitt at times. Uh, so you got that to worry about there. But if he can just tweak that a little, maybe not strike out, but even if he doesn't tweak that, just get your strikeout rate back from 30 to 24. That's a huge jump. Keep the hard hit rate going strong. That Texas lineup will be good. Different ballpark, of course. Heck, might be Arizona for all we know. Might be a benefit. But um, <laughs> there's, a, there's a ton of power in this bat. It's just a matter of the batting average. And, you know, I, I want to say this also as we – or not we, but the industry as a whole and just fantasy players in general, they say he's always a batting average a liability. Yes, he hit 205 last year. 2017, he hit 204. 
then 18 at 253, 16 at 271, 261, 259. In this area of baseball, I know 253 is not great, but these aren't crushing you when you're getting double-digit stolen bases and 30-plus home runs. Like This is almost the going rate for the non-elite players if you want. You're trading off categories here, especially going to pick 240. There is a ton to like with Rudy Odor. It's probably his last chance because they're going to – they got Nick Solak. they got other guys they want to play. But he's going to get his chance. If he if he comes out firing, he's going to be good to go. Even with the 205 average last year, he had a 234 ISO. His best ever, he had 231 and 216. So the production was there, maybe bouncy ball induced. I'm not going to say it wasn't. But he was still hitting the ball very well last year. Just that strikeout rate going up, the BABIP dropping to 244, one of the worst he's had ever those two combinations were not good. I don't mind a bounce back and pick 240, especially at a very shallow second base position. If you're looking for stolen bases late plus power, I think Rudy's a great pick, and that's just me, but I love him. Yeah, I I, I have never been a big uh, Rugnet or Dor fan. I actually, two over the last couple seasons, I've gotten a couple bold predictions right in predicting that Shinsu Chu would be better than Rugnet Odor. So I appreciate him at least for helping me get some bold predictions, right? <laughs> but I, I agree with you. I mean, I think where he's going right now, the challenge for me has always been cost, right? He went like, yes. you yes. know, a couple of years ago, he was going at like pick 40 after the really good season. Then he was going last year around pick 100, I want to say. I love where he's going right now. I actually don't have many shares, which I think is just more indicative of the fact that like I'm, I'm pretty... Um, uh, I focus a lot on batting average, you know, playing in a lot of overall competitions. And so uh, it's tough for me to take a stab at a guy like that, but I really should because I'm oftentimes chasing power. But the thing that I really like about what he did toward the end of last season, so over his last 80 games, so essentially over the last half season that he had, he had the lowest 80 game O swing of his career at 31.1%. Uh, so he was improving his plate discipline at a level um, unprecedented in his career, right? Which is really, really good. His ground ball rate was also by far the lowest over any 80 game span of his career at 31.5%. Uh, um, so two really good trends, right? Better plate discipline, hitting the ball uh, in the air more. His hard hit rate was also at a 80 game uh, rolling average high over any point in his career at 52.6%. So super elite there. And it didn't cost him in terms of his contact rate. Like his contact rate was pretty steady, you know, around 73% overall contacts so was slightly worse than league average, but not terrible. Um, and then again, his in-zone contact rate actually increased while all that was happening to about 82%. So a lot of really good trends with Rugnet Odor right here. Maybe he's a guy who in some of my later drafts, I might have to target a little bit more uh, because I really like, um, you know, diving into him just right here. I really love, uh, what I'm seeing in terms of the changes that he's made. So I'm I'm on board. I'm on board as well. I'm hopeful as well on Rugnet Odor. I love it. Love it. Hopeful Yeah, we just well. love the same players, Bubba. That's that's what that's I'm talking we about. We love together. the same players. Yes, exactly. You do the deep knowledge. I do the layman's terms. And we love the same players in the end. It's a beautiful thing. For so, sure. I'm, I'm going to title but, this podcast, Hopeful Love Fest. That's there we go. See, let's bring some positivity to the world. Let's sure. do that. I mean, who wouldn't um, want to listen to a podcast called Hopeful Love Fest? Well, we know that 71% of voters wanted to listen to the Batflip Crazy podcast. Thanks to the Baseball <laughs> Pods uh, pool. So congratulations on an absolute oh, um, showing that you had there. You got quite the uh, the Twitter's attention that night 
Uh, I think RotoWire is a little worried about you. I know that was so funny. I mean, it's uh, it's like the most flattering thing on earth. Uh, I did not anticipate. Um, you know, I'm I'm a six seed, and and I beat the um, eleven seed in the first round. Um, which you know, every every podcast is great, like that I've listened to. Um, but um, I, I wasn't super familiar with it. But then I went up against Baseball HQ Radio and won this week, which was a little bit of a surprise to me. And so the love and like just the level of support that the podcast has gotten, um, obviously I think that reflects a lot on you as well, since we share a lot of episodes. Um, but it's just been kind of surreal to uh, have that uh, level of interest. And then, yeah, Scott Jenstead and, um, and uh, Jeff Erickson, Jeff were kind Erickson. of, re- yeah, they were trying to reframe it as like, Oh, well now you're the, you're the, uh, the favorite apparently. So the guys at RotoWire trying to frame our little podcast as the uh, as the favorite heading into the Sweet 16 is something else. But no, I'm just super appreciative of everybody who uh, has supported the podcast and voted there. It's a great thing that um, at Baseball Pods is doing just to get you know more attention to uh, all the podcasts that are out there, and it's it's a lot of fun and uh, kind of an honor to uh, to to represent the independent small podcast in the Sweet 16, and hopefully we can do some damage. I know I'll be rooting really hard for you on Thursday, I believe, um, in your uh, in your round of 32 matchup. I know it's going to be a tough one against in this league, but um, I know the the listeners yeah. out there are very appreciative of the work you do too. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah, it's going to be a tough one. So if anybody's bored and wants to vote, I'd much appreciate it because. Uh... Yeah, those are my boys, and uh, they have quite the cult following. So it's going to be a, a tough one on the voting format. But uh, let's get to our hopeful outfielders. And you have some fun ones, and so do I. Who was your first one? Yeah, so my first hopeful outfielder is Ian Happ. Um, he he looked – I mean, he's the major reason for the hopefulness, I think, is the fact that it looks like he's going to get an opportunity to play every single day. Um, for the Cubs in that lineup, that lineup, you know, while they haven't necessarily improved it, it's still got a lot of really good pieces who everybody thinks are really old, but they're still in their prime. I mean, Javi Baez, Anthony Rizzo, Chris Bryant, Kyle Schwarber. There's just a lot of really good pieces in that lineup. The pressure should be off him like a little bit, just in terms of having, not having to compete every single day for that playing time, like from the get-go, I think he's a switch hitter. So he should hit, you know, against both sides of the platoon. Um, and you know, the contact issues have always been the massive hole for Hap, but last year he improved dramatically there. There was a 5% jump in overall contact, a 7% jump in in-zone contact, uh, over his career averages. So some really nice improvements there. And I think when he does make contact, I think the, the results have been a little bit electric, if you will, I'll use the electric, uh, yeah, that's electric. right. Elect- electric. I, I like, I don't know what kind of love sound it. goes along with electric, but like, zzz, or something like that. <laughs> uh, but 9% barrels per plate appearance, um, 95.5 miles per hour on line drives and fly balls. And now those are the two metrics, uh, barrels and uh, exit velocity on line drives and fly balls that are the most predictive of future, uh, future success in those areas. And so I really, really like that. And then he's got a little bit of speed. He's got 18 stolen bases and a little over a thousand plate appearances on his career. So for 500 plate appearances, that's a nine stolen base pace. So you're really looking at a guy who, if he gets 500 uh, plate appearances, I think can get you around 25 home runs and uh, close to 10 stolen bases. And he could get more than that. I mean, if he, if he does hit at that level and he doesn't struggle right from the get-go, I think he could have 
even more as long as he stays healthy. And so I think there's a lot of reasons to be hopeful and happy. The batting average could be a little bit of a stickler, um, especially if that contact rate uh, goes down a little bit. But it, definitely where he's going in drafts, I think he's mu- very much worth it. Worth it at the ADP. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt about it. If he was just a, a better secured spot in the order, he'd be tremendous. But he's still going to be pretty darn good where he's at in a pretty solid cubby lineup. So I don't hate that at all. Those adjustments he made when he got sent down last year proved to be pretty darn good. Uh, my first outfielder of choice is Fran Mill Reyes, the Franimal. Um, huge Fran Mill guy. I know a lot of people are. He's really picked up steam over the draft season. If you want to get um, real weird with Fran Mill, since the 15th, he is going at – oh, come on, update. He's going to pick 115. So he's moved up quite a bit, quite a bit for Franville. But uh, there's a lot to like about him. He played 150 games last year between the Padres and the, the uh, Indians. So his first kind of full dose of action, 37 home runs, hit 249. Again, not a massive average guy uh, for the most part. hit about 250 to 260 in the minors. But the power, the power is what we're here for. 32 homers the year before combined, uh, 25, 16, never really played full seasons. But uh, last year he played 150 games. The year before that, about 140 so or so. He came in, I know it's a little late now. It doesn't really matter. But uh, he came in lighter in better shape. He was running in spring. He said his goal was to still five to ten bases. I think he already had like three steals in spring, and he was looking good out there. Man, if you can throw in five to 10 steals on top of 35 to 40 home runs and a a plus average, that's tremendous because the hit tool is not the question. He's had a 15% barrel rate last year. He's about 11.5% the year before. Uh, The Expo Bacon, a 478, a hard hit rate of 51 year before, 47.5. Similar strikeout rate, which is it's high at 28.5. Walk rate isn't great um, at 8.5. It's still not horrible. But uh, last year, one thing that we saw – in a big way, his ground ball rate dropped 7% from 2018. Fly ball rate went up 4%. Line drive rate up, went three, up 3%. Started pulling the ball even more. He just started hitting the ball. His quality of contact was better across the board last year. And it shows in his ideal contact rate. He's the 22nd player on that list at 47% ideal contact rate. So almost 50% of his batted ball events result in an ideal contact, which is phenomenal. That is really, really big boy stuff. It's one of those... It also shows you with that 28% strikeout rate, if you drop the strikeout rate, a 50% ideal contact rate looks even better because he's putting the ball in play more. Little things like that that you can kind of play with these things to look at plate discipline and whatnot. So Fran Mill, he's basically got the same ideal contact as like Miguel Sano. He's a like a half percentage point in front of Juan Soto, if that rings a bell to anybody. When he hits the ball, he hits it very, very well. Just kind of work on the strikeouts, but he's still super young. We have seen... The strikeout rate not been great, albeit, but it uh, it was really only been in the majors. In the minors, he was a low twenty percent to a high teens guy. His two years with the Padres and the La- or Padres and the Indians were both over twenty eight percent. Maybe something that could be adjusted there, lower that back down with comfort. I still have a faith that his plate discipline can improve, and that will just skyrocket everything else. So Framil is my guy for extreme power. I compared him to a cheaper. Aaron Judge, I'd rather have Fran Mill Reyes than Aaron Judge. That's even before Aaron Judge got hurt. So the argument's kind of not as fun anymore. But uh, you can compare him to Jorge Soler if you want. A very similar player as well. So uh, Fran Mill's my guy. Yeah, life comes at you fast. I haven't looked at uh, ADP for quite a long time. But, whew, my goodness. Yeah, Fran he was Mill's not up there a while ago. Mercado, and I know Mercado had the injury to uh, to his ankle, I believe. His ankle or his wrist. But, um, mm-hmm. Wow. 
That is quite quite a move up the board for uh, Fran Milrez. I like him as well a lot. I probably won't have any shares at that price, but um, I see the reason why why people people really love him a lot. Well, yeah, there's a well. We'll talk about another guy in a minute who's jumped quite a bit since the last time we talked. But um, who's your second one? Yeah, so my number two is uh, Teoscar Hernandez. Um, I mentioned his teammate Rowdy Te- uh, Tellez, but. Uh, Teoscar looks to have full-time playing time right now after being, um, you know, really good actually towards the end of last season. Um, uh, over the second half of the last season, you know, uh, actually I think it was over his last 40 games, I want to say. Uh, during that period of time, every single metric that you would want to possibly improve, improved. So his contact rate was up 3.6% to 70.6%, which is not great. Uh, that's still not very good just from an overall contact perspective. Uh, but compared to where he usually is, that's a huge uh, improvement. His O swing dropped to 26.2% from 30%. So his plate discipline improved. His hard hit rate was up 15, uh, 14%, up at 52.7% over that period of time. And his ground ball rate dropped to 32.4% over the same period of time. His stat cast numbers were through the roof. 95.8 mile per hour average exit velocity. That's right. 95.8 mile per hour average exit velocity um, over those last 50 batted balls, I believe. Um, 50% hard hit rate, according to StatCast, over that period of time. His expected slugging was 589 with a 277 expected batting average. That includes a 9.2% barrel rate. Um, per plate appearance in the second half. That's 228 plate appearances. And the speed, the stolen bases have never matched his 94th percentile sprint speed, uh, but he's definitely good for a handful of them. And so I think if uh, Hernandez is able to translate at least some of those second half improvements, um, he could be a non-total suck in batting average, and he could (laughs) hit a ton of home runs and steal 10 bases, right? Last year in four, about 400, 464 plate appearances, he hit 26 home runs. So you're talking easy 30 plus home run power and then six stolen bases over that period of time. So again, like looking at eight, eight, eight stolen bases, he's projected for between six and nine. So let's give him eight. And that's, a, that's incredibly valuable, especially where he's going, you know, in the late 200s, early 300s, at least the last time. Let's see where he's um going now the big he's his adp is 325 on average unfortunately i was going after him in tgfbi i believe it was but somebody drafted him at like 290 i want to say so i didn't have a chance to get him which was a little bit of a disappointment but really like teoscar as a guy who's who's going really late and could it could be a huge boon and when we talk about guys you know when we when i talk about like from a roster construction perspective, why I want to focus so much on batting average and speed early on is because I think there are guys like Hap, like like Hernandez, like some of the other guys that we're going to talk about that can help help you compensate a little bit for power later on in drafts without totally destroying you in other categories. Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, Teoscar is a beast. I don't think he gets the proper love that he deserves. You definitely gave it to him, uh, where a lot of people don't, and this draft pick is uh, ADP pretty much tells you People don't. He's so talented. He's got a cannon for an arm, which will keep him on the field, which is great in the outfield. But it's just a plate discipline thing with him. He's got the the power-speed combo like you're talking about. Um, playing time, you never know because there's a lot of, of, of players up there you could platoon. But for now, I don't see that happening. 
they even mentioned, I think you were talking about that, that they might use him at first base also, which would be an interesting uh, right-handed player for them to put in there. So lots of ways for Teoscar to get on the field. So I'm with you there. Uh, my second guy is going around pick 272 in the outfield. And it's strictly if the Rockies wouldn't Rocky, things would be beautiful. That's the best way I can say it with keeping it as family friendly as possible. Um, Sam Hilliard is an uber talent, a very, very, very talented ball player that would thrive with everyday playing time in Colorado. We've said that year in and year out about a lot of Rockies prospects. And I'm going to get it out of the way right now. He's not a 42 home run guy. He had 35 homers in the minors, seven in the bigs, not a 42. I'm, I'm, I'm not oblivious to these things. But I'm also realistic that playing in Coors Field or Arizona or wherever the heck he's going to play half of his home games, at least or more, he's got 20-plus home run potential. And the reason I'm okay with 20 to 25 homers, he has 20-plus steal upside, and that is tremendous at pick 270. You can get a 20-20 guy at pick 270. And again, we're talking ceilings here. We're looking for hopeful upside players here. The Rockies could screw this whole thing up, and he could spend most of his season in the Myers, for all we know or on the bench in a platoon, wasting time away. But uh, an everyday Sam Hilliard is going to give you a ton of power. He's going to score runs. He's going to run for days. He's got very good plate discipline in the minors. A, a walk percentage no lower than 8.4% in his 27 games with the Rockies last year. A 10.3% walk rate, which is outstanding for a prospect. Like, really, really good. He had one of his lowest career strikeout rates in the bigs last year over his whole time in major professional baseball with the Rockies. That's outstanding. He's a good average asset. 273 last year, 262, 262, 300. You know, give me 260 or higher if you're going to give me 2020 after pick 270. I'm in. I can take all those things. Um, playing in Colorado never sucks. The biggest thing that may suck is being on the Rockies. And that's the best way I could say it because they're going to platoon them with guys like Ian Desmond because they paid him a bunch of money. Or they move, you know, Garrett Hampson or Ryan McMahon out there because they have someone else in the infield they got to play. Or Rymel Tapia, something happens. You're basically praying for a David Dahl injury, which sucks because I love David Dahl. You want to pray for injuries. But it's like you look right now at roster resource. He's in a platoon in the outfield with Ian Desmond. That is, uh, that is uh, Sam Hilliard. If Hilliard could somehow sneak into everyday playing time or at least three quarters of the playing time, which would be great. He's in for a monster year at pick 270. So I'm very hopeful on Sam Hilliard. I'm very realistic, but I'm very hopeful. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I love Sam Hilliard. Um, I actually did draft him in TGFBI uh, when Teoscar got uh, picked. I think I might have actually drafted him a little bit beforehand. Um, so maybe maybe he also should have been uh, on, my, uh, on my list there. But yeah, you mentioned uh, some of the numbers, but 114.1 mile per hour max exit velocity. That is really, really good. 96 mile per hour uh, on fly ball and line drives, which is awesome. 8% barrels per plate appearance, which is terrific. Um, and then close to 91 miles per hour on his average exit velocity. That is uh, elite. And then he's got 93rd percentile sprint speed. You mentioned the speed. So I think there's a ton of things to love about Hilliard. And the thing is, even if he's in that platoon, right, even if he gets sat against lefties, um, you know, all, you know, you, you're going to have half of his games in cores and most of those games are going to be against lefties. And so you just keep him in, in, in the strong side of that platoon and you have him in when he's at home and you take him out of the lineup when he's there. And I feel like those guys have a lot of value, especially in deeper leagues, guys that you are pretty confident and you know what their platoon is going to be. And you know that you're going to want to play them 
you know, when they're playing at home, for instance. And so, you know, you may only get a third of his at bats or something like that. If that is the case, um, you know, obviously because of the speed, you probably want to have him on the road as well, but either way, like that's a very valuable platoon bat. You combine that with, you know, somebody, I mean, even draft Desmond maybe, you know, and throw him in on the other side of that, you know, you add those two together and that's a pretty good, uh, pretty good baseball player going where those guys are going. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I'm a big, big fan of him and we're both a big fan of the next guy. So why don't you lead us off with this one? Yeah. So, uh, Kyle Schwarber, um, is the guy uh, that I have right here. Um, as the off season has progressed, I've become more and more a fan of, um, Schwarber. Um, I don't, um, so his average exit velocity, the stat cast metrics are obviously really, really good. Um, for Schwarber, um, they're still loading right now. So I'm waiting patiently for that to happen. But in the meantime, uh, ground ball rate was at 38%. I believe it dipped, uh, in the second half of last year, hard hit, hit rate at a career high. Uh, he's always had very good plate discipline. Uh, his contact rate is very solid. It actually, the overall contact rate was up 2%, uh, to 74%. So he doesn't have those major weaknesses that a lot of those big, um, power bats do have. And I know for a fact, if StatCast page were to load, that um, his average exit velocity uh, was through the roof in the second half. Uh, it really increased dramatically, even over his last 100 uh, batted balls. So it really seemed like there was something that he figured out um, there in the second half. Um, and so I really like him. He was the guy that I seemed to be getting um, a lot of, um, you know, in that kind of, there's that power outfield range that's like, that used to be Fran Mill. Fran Mill's way up there now, but like Schwarber and Kepler, uh, some other first base type guys, I was getting a ton of him. And so I just really like him. Yeah. So second half, he hit 280 with 20 home runs in 257 plate appearances. Um, just, uh, I think, you know, you were starting to see him put that together. His K rate dropped 7% about between the first and second half just really dramatic improvements in the performance. And so I'm, I'm would be really excited to have Schwarber on any of my teams. And I definitely started to own quite a bit of him as we got later and later uh, into uh, the draft season. Yep. Schwarber is my number three as well. And I don't have a whole lot more to add because a, we've talked about him on previous pods quite a bit. You nailed everything else again. Um, his, his ADP is up to 140, so he's definitely found the rise. Not quite the Fran Mill rise, but Schwarber and Fran Mill used to be going like kind of next to each other around pick 200 or so. So they've uh, they've definitely found their way up the boards quite a bit since we first started talking about them. Um, I guess what I'll say outside of what uh, Toby said about Schwarber is if you guys just need to smile for a little bit, just go you know, Twitter search or YouTube search Kyle Schwarber home runs, and uh, they're they're fun. They'll bring a smile <laughs> to your face because he just—he looks like a beer league softball player hitting moonshots. It's like a younger Matt Stairs hitting home runs. So um, if, if you just want to enjoy some some baseball, go look up some Kyle Schwarber home runs. That'll be my piece of uh, hopeful Kyle Schwarber news. Go watch that. That's very, very uh, fun stuff to do. Yeah. All right, Toby. I'm, yeah. Oh, I was just going to no, say, go I couldn't get his individual uh, StatCast page to load. I should have had the research done ahead of time like I had with the other guys. Sorry, guys. Right out of yeah, time. No, StatCast just went down because my whole thing's a blank oh, white screen. It? Oh, no. Oh, no, mine's up now. It just reloaded. Okay, it, it reloaded. 
I well, got his Schwarber, page if you need it. Yeah. Schwarber's max exit velo, 117.6, which is truly elite. Yep. Average exit velocity, 92.7. Also truly elite on line drives and fly balls, close to 98 miles per hour and 9%. Um, barrels per plate appearance and a 51.2% uh, hard hit rate. That's, you know, the stat cast version of that. And the thing that I'll say is I mentioned this in the intro to him, but you know, he doesn't have the same flaws that a lot of those power guys have just in terms of his contact rate, Mm -hmm. in terms of his plate discipline, like he is turning into a very good hitter. Um, And so that's one of the reasons that I really love it. Um, I love what he um, is doing. And so let's just uh, for, for craps and giggles, um, his, yeah, his average exit velocity was over 93 miles per hour over his last a hundred batted balls. Um, his average, uh, his expected batting average over that period of time was 324. So again, expected batting average is not a predictive metric, but I think it, 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 if you look at the improvement in the contact rate in the place discipline being solid, fewer ground balls, all of those point to a guy who kind of took a next step in the second half of last season. Yeah, you look at his stat cash page, like you mentioned, his average exit velocity was ninth best in baseball last year. But his max exit, like you said, 117.6. It was 117.1 and 18, 116.1 and 17. So obviously not a fluke. That was eighth, ninth, and 12th best in baseball in each of those three years. That's pretty darn good. Pretty, pretty good. Uh, he was 13th best in barrels last year in all of baseball. Um, and, and then you, you hit, hit on it really well is that um, he is a pure hitter. He's not just like Fran Mill and Miguel Sano and some of these other guys I talked about earlier. He's a pure hitter. They were leading him off at one point in time because he's got great plate discipline uh, and it shows. And right now, I believe he's projected to hit fourth in that Cubs lineup, which would be bananas behind Javi and, and Rizzo and um, Bryant and company. Imagine all the runs he could drive in there. But if somehow he sneaks his way back into the first or second spot in the order, I, I'm gravy with that too. Like there's a lot to like with Kyle Schwarber. Really, really hard to pass up on a talent like that. And there's a reason he's moving up draft boards, and uh, rightfully so. All right, Toby, I'm going to call an audible because we have some listener Ooh. questions. I'm Ooh. going to save hey, our pitchers Bubba, for I next week. I don't do well with audibles. I know. I'm going to go to the bullpen. I'm going to go. I'm going to do language. I'm going to do some language. You understand? I'm going to call. I'm going to go to the bullpen. We're, You're going to go. Gonna, okay. Okay. We're, we're going to go to the bullpen here. I handle here. a call to the bullpen a lot better. There's a reason why I'm not. Doling out fantasy football <laughs> advice, you know. We're gonna we're gonna call to the bullpen, and we're gonna do pitchers next week, and uh, okay. maybe we'll add a couple more. We'll do those like next it. week. I like and, it, and uh, we'll get we'll get to our listener questions now. Okay, so, let's do it. This will be fun. We have a, we have a few of them, uh, some a little more serious than others. And the first one was from James at James underscore AG one. He says, "What are you doing with your rosters at this time?" I'll be honest; I haven't been neglecting. I've been neglecting mine. And I imagine I'm not the only one. Really, not a whole lot to do. But what is, are you doing? Anything with your rosters right now, Toby? Uh, I am not doing anything with my rosters. Most of my leagues, uh, like 85 percent of them, probably. I think I'm in like 14 right now, something like that. Um, most of them right now don't have Fab or are on NFBC, and I know NFBC has paused Fab mm-hmm. uh, for until the season starts back up again. So nothing much to do there. In some of my like my fan tra- tracks dynasty league, I haven't really done much um, in that in that arena. I imagine that uh, maybe fan tracks is still 
Um, they're running fab. They're still running fab. So yeah. fab in my two leagues there are probably running. I should probably pay attention to that, especially from a dynasty <laughs> perspective. Um, but yeah, I'm with you. Uh, I just haven't had the motivation to necessarily do that until your question. Uh, but it appears as though people are adding and dropping people in my dynasty league, which I probably should have been paying a little bit more attention <laughs> to. Uh, but um, so I will hop on that. Uh, thank you for the reminder, James. But no, I, I don't necessarily think there's a ton to be doing. I think there are situations like, for instance, like Cole Hamels. I saw that he's now throwing injury pain-free. So a guy like that probably isn't on the waiver wire if you have like IL spots or something like that. But th those are the types of situations where you may just want to monitor that just in case it does happen. Um, so that that's that's all I would really say about that is just kind of, um, yeah, monitor those like dynasty leagues, those redraft leagues where there is some fab just to make sure that you're not kind of caught doing nothing, especially as it seems like there's gaining momentum, at least from both the players and the league to have a season. I'm still skeptical, but I won't talk too much about that because I want to stay <laughs> hopeful and optimistic. There we um, go. <laughs> so just in case there is a season, you don't want to be left kind of in the dust. So just, again, I don't think there's a lot of things that you need to do, but if there are situations where a guy has either increased in value or, an injury is less of an impact. You might be able to take advantage of that. Yeah, the, the biggest thing is um, dynasty leagues. I've I've tinkered there. I haven't added or dropped anybody because it really wasn't anybody I was really into adding or dropping, to be honest. But like we've had to condense our rosters and get stuff ready, and they haven't made us make the final cuts yet. They postponed that till you know we have a season or we don't have a season type thing. But um, and it could be a league by league deal. But I think you're in one with. Um, donkey teeth and all those guys and i'm in one with them and they uh the, the fab period started a couple weeks ago i guess the only thing i'm doing in, in dynasty and non-dynasty leagues is every once in a while when i get really bored like i'm telling you really really bored i go back and i look at the waiver wire and i kind of like update my watch list because as injuries change as maybe you know roster ideas change when you get the idea of hey maybe these middle relievers actually have value to them i should pay attention mm -hmm. to this type thing Stuff along those lines, um, just to remind me when Fab does start up, here's a list of guys that I might want to start uh, putting bids in on. That's about it. Like, I haven't really gone into anything crazy. Um, and really, I'll, I, I went weeks without looking at anything. But it's just when you get really bored on, like, a um, whatever day of the week you get bored on nowadays, I just take a little time and do that. But it's not necessary. That's for sure. All right. Mike Curlin. Mike Sleepy K Curlin. He's got uh, a good one here. What, if anything, are you doing to try and better your analysis during this downtime? Are you reading material, looking into players you never thought to look into, taking a breather? If yes to any, please elaborate on specifics, especially the material. Toby, anything that you're doing in this downtime? Well, Mike's question really made me feel guilty uh, because I haven't really done anything in particular to improve myself as an analyst during this time. To be honest with you, like I, what I've been doing mostly uh, during this time is just spending a little bit more uh, quality time with the family. I'm pointing to my wife right now um, and catching up on some shows, you know, um, just kind of trying to like, you know, during the season and during the off season, even this year, more so than in previous seasons, it was fantasy baseball all the time. And I was just hyper-focused and always, you know, I had a ton of fab leagues. I was always just trying to, you know, do research, do analysis, share that on Twitter, share that on the podcast, 
uh, manage my teams. It's kind of just an all encompassing thing. And so I've kind of just been trying to take this time to take it easy, get a little bit more sleep than I usually do. Uh, again, spend more time with the family, uh, all of those pieces. I haven't really been focused on anything particularly fantasy baseball um, related. Obviously, like I've been trying to keep in touch with the news and notes that are happening, continuing to read good research that people are putting out, integrating whatever research I've come across. And if there's any like big pieces that I take from that, like and applying those, but that's just kind of what I like to focus on just generally from a process perspective is being aware of all of the material that's, that's out there and being, being uh, put out there and then trying to figure out what I can use, you know, um, uh, to better inform my fantasy baseball analysis. So that's what I've been trying to do. There's been some great research though. I mean, Jeff Zimmerman's had a few articles in the last couple of weeks that have been brilliant about the high fastball, for instance, and just stuff like that. So I, I'm still continuing to read that and keep track of that. Uh, but, you know, generally haven't really been uber focused on making myself a better analyst. I've always had dreams of like learning R and like being able to do my own, like running my own statistical models and things like that. But I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's for me uh, at this point in time. I think I'm just going to try to take it easy. How about you, Bubba? What have you been up to? Um, I'm still trying to figure out how to use my proper video knowledge on my computer. And I get very frustrated at times because <laughs> I'm not uh, technologically sound, but I'm really close now, like really, really close. So that might be happening sooner than later. Well, um, we, will we have these podcasts available on YouTube with our pictures? Eventually, yes. Eventually, um, all right. I, I will explain more to you on that off the air, but yes, we will eventually. But cool, uh, cool. Uh, I'm working on just trying to get my camera set up and everything because I want to like do it right type situation. Mm -hmm. So working on that, um, I'm trying to read more articles because I used to kind of skim things. That's why like I wanted to bring up John Metzler's things. I really want people to read that. I think it's a an interesting article, and I just want people to go to like awesome websites. And there's tons of them. So like one thing I do for my research is I'm on Twitter a lot, but I'm, I'm on the, I'm on the go a lot because I'm still working and doing other things. If I see something that like the the title intrigues me. I open the article and I email it to me. So then later on when I'm doing my email, which is hooked up to my personal and work all in one, I see that article in my email and I read it. Like like before bed, instead of reading a book or something that night, I'll read a couple articles, stuff like that, just to get an idea of how I feel about it. And one thing without a lot of news, that's been a lot of basis for my other Bench of Bubba shows is I just want people to come on and we'll talk more about articles that are intriguing, that might pick the brain that aren't just analytical articles on players because we could talk about players as much. I'll talk about players all day long, but you know, they've been talked about quite a bit. So new and uh, interesting concepts. Like you mentioned Jeff Zimmerman. He's had a ton. I have like three different sheets he's created. I keep looking at it every other day, trying to figure out more and more about it. Um, there, there's a tons of great work all over the place. Baseball HQ is great. Um, I, I know it's a paid service, but I highly recommend it. Uh, there, there's a, there's phenomenal work out there everywhere. So I think the biggest thing that I, I've enjoyed over this downtime is it's given me more time to dig in more and learn more about the the reference pages we use because I've said it on this show many times. I'm still very green to a lot of these things. So I try to learn and read as much as I can to it because I'm a, I'm not the biggest statistical genius. Uh, let's just say that wasn't my, my major in school, stats. So um, I try to better myself in those respects. I better uh, deeper dives into players like Rowdy Telez. I liked Rowdy. I wasn't a, like all in on them. I know you were. So when I did this deeper, like we've done sleepers enough. I'm looking at like deeper sleepers. My article was Evan White, Rowdy Telez, and Ryan Mountcastle. Two of the three guys have never even played in the big leagues. And uh, they all could be starting for their teams this year. 
So there's just little things like that to kind of see where there's little niches because, you know, some guys just to kill time are looking at best ball drafts right now. And players like that become more and more interesting. So just little things along those lines. Like I'm not going to try to be crazy. I'm not trying to go reinvent the wheel. I'm just trying to, to take a deeper dive into things because at worst, the way I look at it, if for some godforsaken reason we don't have a season this year, I'll be ready for next year. So we're good. And we'll just keep moving along that direction. But, uh, yeah, I, for me, I, I've been hanging out with the wife. We decorated the baby's room. We're continue. Now, the one downside of her being home all the time, Amazon, through the roof. That's one thing that's a lot of fun um, for the baby's room. But, um, yeah, that, that's that been fun. We, we have watched a lot more shows that we haven't been able to because she's home more doing her school from home, which is cool. But, uh, yeah, it's been more just deeper dives and trying to learn more stuff that I hadn't had the time to learn before. Yeah, and I'll just say, Bubba, oh. you are you are to be applauded. I think of any everybody in the industry. I mean, you have been producing probably the most or close to the most content. I mean, every night with a new podcast, I really um, it's pretty incredible all the content that you're always putting out there and and keeping fresh and giving people opportunities to share their information, and uh, it's really awesome. I appreciate that. I really do. It's. Uh... It's fun. I, I like doing it. It helps me. Uh, everyone's got their way of coping with things. This helps me cope. So mm -hmm. this is why I, I do it. I can uh, talk baseball all day long and it helps me a ton. So let's go to the next listener question. Steve Waymer at Stevie M-E-R. My keeper league is running waivers every week. Every time I go to the report, I wonder why and then forget about it every week. <laughs> just thought it'd be funny to mention it because he put it out to us because we kind of just talked about it. Like, yeah, if you want to go play with it, yeah, but really what do you change like because at least for your dynasty league right toby you already had your draft at least you're just kind of waiting now right yeah yeah, yeah we had so, our first year yeah. uh our first year player draft and i traded every single one of my picks because i didn't have any beyond the i think my first pick was in like the third third or fourth round for cesar hernandez oh man well hey that's a yeah, baller OBP especially league. in a dynasty league yeah obp OBP dynasty league. heck yeah that's why you win leagues toby that's why you win leagues all right, James has another one, and this is a fun one. At James underscore AG1, who already had the first question we went in on, he's got a non-fantasy question. And I don't know if you saw it all, Toby, but it was fun because Justin Mason started out with a, a comment about the Dodgers haven't won in like over 1,100 games, haven't won a World Series. And um, then I, I quote tweeted it and said, now I know why Justin Mason and I are such close friends, beat LA. So then Brockness Monster gets on, Brock Miller, and says, I'm really basically – we were having fun going back and forth on this and it was Brock was like mad. And then, uh, uh, Justin's like, well, don't be mad. It's only been like 30 years and like all these things back and forth. So James, you look at his, 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 uh, picture. He's an LA Dodgers fan. He asked this, um, he says, I've got a, a non-fans related question sparked by Justin Mason's totally uncalled for trolling of the Dodgers world series drought in the next 10 years, LA has four more NLS titles to whatever. So that's not the part of the question. His question is, can we call the 30-year run one of the best in sports histories from 2000 to 2030? He's predicting that they'll have 14 NLS titles, three wild cards, five pennants, and zero world championships. My question to you, Toby, if you're a fan of a team that won that much but couldn't win the big one, would you think that's great? Oh, man, that is a tough question. Um uh, I feel like there's a lot going on there because it's kind of like, like there if is. I had it, if, if you're almost disappointed because there's been so much success that it mm -hmm. almost feels like 
terrible luck that you haven't. And so you know that there's been amazing moments throughout those seasons, you know, winning the pennant, like just there's been a number of really exciting games and moments and things that you just remember forever as a fan. And so that's awesome, but it's almost like there's been so many of those without the big one that it's like, at this point, can you really enjoy it until you get the big one? Whereas if your team wasn't as successful, like doing those things would mean a lot more at this point, I guess. And so um, I do think, I mean, you know, what they've been able to accomplish has really been uh, quite incredible. Um, as a fan, if you were to say, hey, you're going to win, you know, 14, if you're going to win that this over the next 30 years, but you're not going to win a championship, I probably wouldn't take it because that's what you're, you play the game to win championships. And so should they be, should they be, um, I don't think they should be frustrated at the team or the players for their failure to do that. I think they've done everything that they possibly could potentially. I mean, at least recently in order to achieve that. But as a fan, I think you want to win a championship and that's the goal every year. It's just like in fantasy baseball, like you play to win and second place is great. Uh, but you play to win the game. And so uh, I think, I think I would overall be disappointed. Like I wouldn't take that if you were to offer that to me tomorrow, like your favorite baseball team, which is essentially my fantasy baseball team. It's going to, it's going to win 14 division titles and five NL championships over the next 30 years, but you won't win the big one. Will you take that? I would say no. Yeah. They make a movie about this. It's called 27 dresses where she's always the bridesmaid. I don't really think you always want to be the bridesmaid. That's kind of what the, the Dodgers would be in this scenario. They'd be a runner up to the big day every time. And uh, that's or at least five out of like, that's, a, that's a lot of times for a baseball team. Uh, 14 division titles, almost every, like almost half the time they won their division. They made the playoffs like almost 20 out of the 30 years. And you couldn't win the big one. That's a, a rough go. I would not be happy about that. Uh, it'd be fun watching your team win every year because it gets boring watching the team lose every year. But I would not be happy about that, especially when uh, the team to the north wins three titles in five I, years. I, that's what I was going to say, Bubba. Yep, I was going to say, fun. I'd rather the Giants for the last 30 years. <laughs> yep, that, that can't be fun. And trust me, for like the first uh, like 25 years of that, I was miserable. I thought 2002 was... Uh, the, the only chance I'd ever have in my entire lifetime. And in 2002, I was graduating high school and I thought it was already over. I was like, nope, nope, never happening again. Dusty Baker blew it, left him out there too long. It's over. But no, miracles happen uh, unless you're a Dodgers fan. So, um, yeah, I, I would rather have the championships. And the thing I wanted to tell James, and I'll leave this question for James. And James, let me know your answer on Twitter. Would you rather be the Dodgers who make these runs year in and year out and can't win the big one? Or would you rather be the Kansas City Royals, who are basically a losing franchise year after year, but go to two World Series and win one, and then they're horrible again? Would you rather be the Royals or the Dodgers? Think about that one. So that's, a, that's my scenario for James. I'd like to hear an answer for that later. All right. Last question we have, and it wouldn't be a, a Bubba and the Batflip podcast or even a Batflip crazy podcast in general without a great question from Cody McDonald at Do. Thoughts on 2020 format, assuming June 1st start, or let's just assume 81 game regular season, because they can still do that in July, regular season, followed by expanded playoff format, more teams and rounds, call it the race for the World Series. What's your thoughts on that? If there's a 81 game season, 
more teams in the postseason, kind of a sprint to the playoffs. What's your thoughts on a season like that? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it depends on a lot of it depends on how they configure things. I know in the most recent MLB proposal, or not really proposal, but what Jeff Passan reported on that was shared widely. You know, they talked about having a a, a lot of double headers, seven inning double headers, and so I think you know what's less important is, I mean, the number of games really impacts the variance, right? And so I think. Mm-hmm. As a result of that, like there's going to be more luck one way or another that factors into this. There's regardless of how the season happens, there's going to be more luck just because there's less certainty um, about how players are going to respond to, you know, like if they play in Arizona, there's going to be how do we integrate park factors into that? Like, how do we get an understanding, especially if we don't know exactly how many games they're playing at each stadium or what the impact of each stadium is going to be? How are players going to react like? emotionally as human beings to being separated from their families if that is something you know that ends up happening right if they do like the bubble proposal where they're um, separated for four and a half months from you know their their significant others their kids their their lives overall how are they going to be able to cope with that Uh, then there's also you know like the whole just you know sitting in the stands instead of in the dugouts and and doing like physical spacing you know, on the field, like, how does that, like, how does that impact the way that the game is played? And how does that impact just the emotional element that while as an analytics guy, I, I, you know, I focus on that, like there's the emotional component to being a human being and playing the game as well. So there's just so much more uncertainty as a result of that. And I think as a result of that, and the shorter number of games, the smaller sample size, there's going to be more variance. Um, And so I really think that that's the big thing. But if there are like actual structural changes to the game, for instance, like if they do seven inning games instead, like then, you know, and there's more double headers, then yeah, some of these middle relievers may have a little bit more value because they might get that win. You know, Uh, it's a lot easier to get high quality three innings out of a guy than it is to get six. We all know that. And so that might give middle relievers a little bit more, um, uh, you know, value, but do they change the way that wins are allotted if the games are only seven innings pitched? Is it now, you know, four innings to qualify for the win, right? There's so many different elements there that just change the fundamentals of the game. And I think the key is going to be once we know what that proposal is to recognize there's going to be more variance. So as we go into this, there's going to be more luck involved and that could be luck in your favor, you know, for the good, it could be luck in your favor for the bad. Um, you know, and you just got to recognize that, but then you're going to just have to adapt pretty quickly to changes to the game and be able to interpret how those changes are going to impact, you know, value for different players and and integrate that into your draft strategy and your roster construction strategy. And so I think that's going to be a real challenge because there is so much uncertainty and things are obviously going to be changing. You know, I would, I wouldn't be surprised, you know, if they did something similar to what they proposed that if spring training, like they actually made adjustments to, what the initial proposal was during spring training based on how games go and they say, see things kind of rolling out. So those are the types of things that are just, there's too many permutations to really know exactly how it'll happen. Just know that there's going to be more luck involved in the season if it's shorter. And, and even still like with the way the season is now, it's, there's going to be more luck involved regardless. Yeah. The shorter the season, the better the chance for these playoff teams. You could have all kinds of craziness happen. I've seen guys like to gamble on uh, playoff chances, like betting the teams like the blue Jays, it makes sense. Teams like that, the Padres, uh, the Diamondbacks, like some of these teams that are like close but not quite there 
on a shortened season where he's got to run hot for a little bit, magic can happen. Like big time uh, possibility. This might be the A's finally can have their chance to just go get them type thing. This, there's lots of ways to look at it um, from a fantasy perspective. I think the passing article uh, I was tweeting about it today, I almost feel like it was the MLB like giving them this information, telling them to put it out there. Let's see how people react to it. And then we can adjust from there. I think this is a very fluid thing. I think the biggest takeaway that I have from this is that the players, the owners, and even healthcare people are at least working together to figure something out. That it's not just like it is a money grab in the end because these owners are greedy and they want their darn money. And that's ugly about it. But they're at least working together to try to figure out the best possible scenario instead of just throwing it against the wall and hoping it sticks. So I, I was happy to see that. It at least gives more optimism than it felt like there was a few days ago. Let's put it that way. So that that that's what I think the biggest takeaway from the past articles for me. I think a lot of those things will change, like you were mentioning. I think once they realize, you know, seven inning double hitters are tough. Um, as hot as it is in Arizona, you have to figure out certain ways to do things. Uh, timing of games. You can't play every game at Chase Fields. So you're going to have to play a lot of outdoor games. Uh, I already talked. I, I gave. I sent Derek Cardi a tweet today asking if he could do bat projections for the Heat, and he's kind of actually working on that already. So mm-hmm. that'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Because you know, if you're drafting Rockies guys, but they all play in Arizona, well, those guys don't have the advantage anymore because that ball is going to fly in Arizona. When in, uh, talking to like Bogman and the Welsh down there during the summertime, it averages 115 as a high. It's like 100 degrees even until eight or nine o'clock at night certain nights. Like it's the ball is going to fly. And so pitchers might not go as long into games. Pitchers might not be as strong in games. Like there's a lot of things that could change the way you look at things. But that's the fantasy perspective uh, for real life. I think it'll be good to have baseball back. I think it opens up possibilities for a lot more teams having a chance. And uh, we'll have to see where it goes. And I hope it's a real discussion we have because that means we're having baseball. So that would be a fun situation there. Absolutely. All right, Toby. That wraps us up. Any final thoughts on ben, uh, Bubba and the Batflip 32? No, I mean, this was really fun, Bubba. I think going back into the player pool and really getting in depth, getting into the the nitty gritty of why we like these players and why we're hopeful has actually made me a little bit more hopeful. And, uh, you know, it's it's got me a little bit fired up and really excited, hopefully, that there could be some baseball uh, this year in some format just for us to, you know, like you mentioned, like, you know, people are people are struggling right now. Uh, there's a lot of grief for a lot of reasons that people have, and so just having something to, uh, you know, bring back that enjoyment and and the podcast definitely does that for me. But having baseball back, giving people that thing to cope a little bit more with with everything that's happening in the world right now, I think would be amazing. So let's definitely hope that that does happen. But I appreciate as always joining you uh, on the podcast this week and and getting fired up for uh, for some fantasy baseball. No doubt about it. I have a couple things. If you guys could please vote for me on Thursday, much appreciated. It would really mean a lot because I have, don't have confidence at all going against ITL. Like these boys are. Uh, Let's do it for they, Bubba. They're the ITL army for a reason. Let's just put it that way. They, uh, Prospect One almost beat RotoWire. That is ITL. Just got to throw that one out there right now. So um, we'll see how that goes. And then on a, a more serious note, just uh, stay safe out there. Love your family and hug them and kiss them. And uh, a, a thing that I've been really trying to do, and if you guys can, if you have the means to do it, I know not everybody does, try to like support some of your local businesses and restaurants because they are struggling when you walk inside those places. It's pretty doom and gloom sometimes. 
And uh, just tell people like the the grocery stores and stuff, tell them thank you because uh, they are pretty beat up out there. But if you just give them a little thank you and a little conversation, they light up quite a bit. It means a lot to them because they think we're just kind of not caring about them. They, they, uh, they're doing a lot, a lot right now. So uh, just throw that out there. Give them a little extra thank you here and there. And it goes a long, long ways. So, all right, everybody. Definitely. Bubba and you're, the you're, backflip. Bubba, you're What's great. <laughs> no, 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 you are. Love, but, uh, love fest complete. There we go. Our hopeful love fest is complete. Bubba and the backflip episode 32 in the books. Catch you guys later. That is going to wrap us up for episode 128 of the Batflip Crazy Podcast and edition 32 of Bub and the Batflip. Hope you enjoyed that. It was awesome uh, to get back into some fantasy baseball analysis, some deep dives on some players, guys that we think are hopeful. Uh, next week, as Bubba mentioned, we uh, he, he put out a little audible in there. We were going to cover pitchers today, but trying to keep the podcast relatively reasonable in length, especially given uh, given just the, the, the point we are. Uh, right now in the season, but next week we will focus on pitchers and relief pitchers who are giving us reasons to be hopeful for the next season. That should be a blast as well. Again, thank you so much for all the support the podcast has received in getting through to the Sweet 16 in the Baseball Pods Fantasy Baseball Podcast Tournament. Really, really appreciate that and also just appreciate at Baseball Pods helping to set up uh, that tournament because it's just been a lot of fun and it's really given us something Uh, to focus on. So thank you so much for that support and let's help Bub out uh, moving forward. Best of luck uh, with all of your continued fantasy baseball research. Take care and be kind to one another.